Welcome to the Liberty Block Live. I am Elliot Axelman. Welcome to the Liberty Block Live. I am Elliot Axelman. We are joined tonight by Daniel Miller, the president of Texas Nationalist Movement. Welcome to the Liberty Block Live, Mr. Miller. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. We're going to take a second to share this out on Facebook, and then we're going to get right into the question. So could you just tell us some of your background and how you got into politics and then into independence, the whole secession movement? Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty broad and long, but let me, let me see if I can um, shrink it down a bit for you. Uh, I, I was... Uh, my, my ancestry here in Texas goes all the way back to the Battle of San Jacinto, where, where Texans won their independence from Mexico. Um, but I'll tell you, I was raised uh, by uh, a couple of blue-collar parents. Uh, dad, dad had been an iron worker uh, for 35 years before he retired. Mom had been involved in, in secretarial work. But one of the things that was always prevalent in our household uh, was this idea of engagement, right? We'd, we'd have, we were the family that would have dinner with the news on in the background, and then we would be discussing it, right? So, uh, you know, naturally for me, it, it was, it was sort of a natural, uh, a natural thing to just be involved because we'd always been involved, not at, at, at an elected level, but just, you know, just in general, you know, just being concerned. And so, uh, when, uh, when I got into adulthood, it, it transitioned into a concern about, uh, about the constitution, about how we were governed. Uh, and then after many years of frustration with, uh, this activism toward the federal government, it became very clear that the federal government was beyond reform. And so in 1996, when the idea, the seed was planted in my head that, the way to fix this was to fundamentally re-examine our relationship with the union and Texas assert its status as an independent nation. And therefore, uh, it would solve all of those problems. And so since August 24th, 1996, uh, I have been engaged in this fight for Texas independence. That's amazing. So were you always pretty uh, pro-freedom as far as ideologically libertarian or conservative, or were you raised uh, any other way, Republican or Democrat? Well, you got to understand, uh, you know, Dad. I, I think I, I told you everything you need to understand about politics here. Uh, when I said that my dad had returned to, retired as an iron worker after 35 years, he was a, a union uh, guy, and there, there were two things that guaranteed your political affiliation in the early days, and that was being a Texan and being in a union, right? So, uh, you know, Dad, Dad was always a Democrat, but I, you know, I when I when I came of age, when I became an adult, uh, I never uh, really asserted a, a political party affiliation uh, because I, at the time I became an adult and started really diving off into these issues, uh, it was apparent to me, even at that point, that the, the partisan duopoly that we were suffering under was really a fundamental part of the problem. Uh, so there, there was no joy inside the, the typical sort of uh, back and forth between uh, the political parties as far as solving the problem. So, um, you know, I, later on in life, I mean, I, I would say probably I tended to vote uh, a little more Republican, um, you know, than independent. I, I can't say that I cast a, a ballot for a Democrat the entire time I came of age to vote. 
but you know, for when it when it comes to general election stuff, I, I've always been uh, more of an independent, choosing person over party and principle over purported platform. Yeah. So you said the federal government is is not savable or, or it's just too too far gone. What do you see? I agree, of course. But what do you see as the biggest issues with the federal government politically? Is is there a certain uh, policy or a bunch of policies, or do you think it's just the government doesn't work for the people in general? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really two things. I mean, you could look at it. I think from a, a policy nature, uh, where where we have to as Texans and individuals judge how congruent the policies that come out of Washington, D.C. are with our, our principles. Uh, but more than that, I think that there are some structure, fundamental structural issues with the federal government, so much so uh, that it, it has, as an institution, trampled the very freedom uh, of, of every individual under its umbrella and completely uh, eroded the sovereignty uh, of the individual states. Uh, it has ignored its foundation and has, you know, I, I equated it in my first book to Frankenstein's monster. You know, it, it is the creation that is killing its creator. Well, all we need to do is elect better people. That, <laughs> what do you answer? What do you say to those people who say, yes, we have bad people now, but we just need to elect better people in Congress and the president? Well, look, that, that's that's garbage on the federal side. Um, and and while I may I may believe that to be true here in Texas, uh, from from a federal side, it's just an absolute lie. Uh, you know, we're we're treated to this every four year political kabuki theater uh, that gives us the illusion of choice and, and, and gives us false hope. I mean, let, let's think about, I, you know, I can think back to every election cycle that I have voted in. Uh, and and I can see on the federal side, every four years, I see these guys stand up, parade in front of the people, and tell people how they're going to go to Washington, D.C. and fix these problems. Now, think about this. You know, I'm in my 40s now. So think about how many elections I voted in, and then anyone who's watching or listening can, can also do the math themselves. Think mm -hmm. about how many election cycles you've had to endure these snake oil salesmen, these peddlers of false hope, who, who promise to charge into Washington, D.C. On, on the back of a white horse to save us all, to restore freedom, to put federal government back in its constitutional bounds, and to restore our liberties and the sovereignty of the states. And then think about how many times those people have failed. Now, whether it's a personal failing or an institutional failing is completely irrelevant to the fact that it is a failing. And so this idea... You know, it, what do we talk about? We say that uh, that past performance is the best indicator of, of future, right? I mean, that's yeah. exactly where we are. We're, we're being sold snake oil every four years. And in, in, in those times, like I'll even, I'll even give you a good example. I mean, not to, not to jump on the monologue soapbox here, but I'll give you a good example. Uh, you know, I've watched the dollar, the, the value of the dollar decrease by about 150% since I, I uh, got involved in Texas independence. Uh, I've watched the the federal debt balloon up from single digit trillions to 22 trillion, probably getting ready to bump up to a you know probably 30 trillion by the time um, you know we get a couple years down the road. Uh, I have watched the size of the federal government continue to grow to the point now that we live under 180,000 pages of federal laws, rules, and regulations, 
administered by 440 separate agencies and two and a half million unelected bureaucrats. Right. But those regulations are for the children and for our safety. The fact of the matter is, is that if, if we were to print up the federal regulations and stack them on standard sheets of paper, the fact that they are taller than the San Jacinto Monument, which is taller than the Washington Monument, got to get a Texas brag in there. Uh, that right there ought to be enough to do people's head in to say, you know what, let's hoist the Texas flag and let's get this thing done. Yeah, and then the other big issue that I'm sure you hear from some people is, is and again, they're misled. It's a misconception, but they say we're one America, we're we're one united country, and and we just need to unite. And and you know we're polarized now, but we have to come together for you know common sense solutions like common sense gun control and common sense tax reform and immigration reform. And we're all you know one America after all. Why would you want to leave? We're like a family. Why would you want to leave? Well, yeah, it doesn't feel like a family. Uh, it, it feels like a club that I don't want to be a part of anymore. Um, you know, this, this idea, and I, I talk about it in the book, which, uh, for those of you out there who, who haven't heard of it or seen, it, it's called Texit. Uh, why there you go. Right, why, right. And how Texas will leave the union. Uh, I actually talk about that, this idea of this one nation and, and how it is a, in the, in the lifetime of nation states or political entities, um, it is a fairly new uh, a, a fairly new idea that gained prominence that we're one nation. You know, we, we can go back to, I even talk about in the book, how the, uh, the pledge of allegiance that came after the civil war by Francis mm -hmm. Bellamy, a Christian socialist uh, was, was really sort of a, an underhanded way to prep future generations to accept this idea that the United States of America is a nation. And, and so, you know, you could, you can take that entire argument apart and look at the founders and the framers and determine whether that's what the intention was for the United States of America as an entity. You, you realize that it's not, uh, you can look at the social engineering that has been engaged in where people have tried to promulgate this myth that it's one nation, or you can look at the 21st century and look at where that is in practicality. You see the, the people that are the most opposed to Texas independence, are, are the, the ones that are quickest to throw that out there about us being one nation and, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. But they're also the quickest to point out the divisions amongst us, right? They're the ones that are quickest to throw the wedge in there about being uh, left or right, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. They're the ones that want to throw the wedges in there. They're the ones that promulgate this idea of hyphenated Americanism. So at a fundamental level, they're, they're hypocrites. They can't have it both ways. Uh, so look, you know, this idea that somehow we're one big family, it's, it's just not true. Yeah. And, and a, a few things for that. Number one, a synonym with state is country. So country and state are synonymous and they always have been and always will be in English and other languages as well. Yep. And another amazing thing is, like you said, the founders, what did they think of the central government? The founders during all those those founding documents, there's a reason they wrote the several states. They didn't write one America, one or great the United States are instead of the United States is. Uh, you know, it was a the, there was a historian who said that the Civil War was entirely fought over one word, and that word was is or are. You know, the United, United States, the United States are, and and you know, I think I think there's a certain merit to that, but the fact of the matter is, is just because. Uh, there is an ideology that's promulgated out there that says that the states are all one big 
happy family. We're in, we're in, you know, indissoluble union or any of the number of sort of fallacious things that they say. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, the proof exists even today. There are 50 stars on the flag. Why isn't there just one star? What, what is the Electoral College? What, where did it come from? Why do we even have a United States Senate where the senators, two from each? I mean, you know, the, 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 the vestiges of what the union was supposed to be are still there. Uh, I think the challenge that we all face uh, here in Texas and elsewhere is what has that union become? You know, in, in its original intent, it was a political and economic union thrown in with a mutual defense pact. You know, uh, a, a, essentially a postal union and a uh, you know a, a currency union, right? A, a formal currency. I mean, those are the aspects of what it was supposed to be, uh, not some Soviet-style centralized control from a bunch of unelected bureaucrats in some city far flung from where we live, so disconnected from our needs and wants that every solution they try to put out causes damage to everyone. Yeah. In a, in a sense, it was, uh, uh, yeah, real quick, in a sense, it was like what Europe is right now. We have the EU and Britain's going through the whole Brexit thing. Nobody in their right mind thinks that a French person's the same as an Italian person as a German person but yet they're banded together in economic union. But then you have somebody like Britain who says, yeah, this just isn't working anymore, so it's time to leave. You and there really is a question that they are an independent nation, just happen to be in a collective for economic reasons. Man, you, you cannot imagine how many times I've had to have this conversation with our European counterparts, you know, with the the Euroskeptic movements, the, the independence organizations uh, over there in Europe. Uh, you know, the, to, I'll give you a good example. If you get a chance, right, whether, you know, you guys, anyone who's watching, get a chance, go to YouTube and watch, uh, go watch the Brexit movie, okay? Uh, it, was, it was shot ahead of the referendum, uh, you know, the UK's exit from the EU. And what it did was, in a, in a, really interesting documentary format it laid out the uh, effectively the your the um, uk's case against the european union and what was so interesting about watching that movie was that after so many years of of pursuing texit you know we have this our own basket of grievances and statistics and things of that nature and it was amazing to me to to look at the fact that the united kingdom was less integrated with the european union and looking at their grievances, every grievance that Texas had mirrored one of those grievances only to the power of 10. You know, when they talked about the unelected bureaucrats in Brussels and, and bristled at, you know, 500,000, 750,000, whatever the number was, and, and we're staring down the barrel of two and a half million unelected bureaucrats. When they started talking about the unfair trade policies in the EU, or uh, European Union uh, regulatory effect on their economy. Uh, I, could, I could look at every single thing in that movie and draw a clear analog to what's happening here in the relationship between Texas and the United States and show beyond a shadow of a doubt that if the UK had a great case for why they should leave the European Union, uh, we should have been out of here, uh, you know, sometime back, you know, preferably 20 years ago, but... Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, 
But but uh, you you hit on something about Brexit that I think is worth discussing and people need to look at. Yeah. What do you say to uh, uh, kind of just touch on that? We'll let go back to you, Elliot. What do you say to people that say, "Oh, well, how can you break away? You you can't be a country on your own. <laughs> you, you know, you don't have the economy to be a country on your own." Uh, that that was my response to those. Did you just see that? That that was that was almost a belly laugh. I like, know the answer. This close, um, you know. I'll tell you, we get that very rarely, oddly enough. Um, but but it's 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 a simple case for us. Uh, you know, Texas can can make this case quite well. You know, the tenth largest economy, sometimes the ninth largest, depending on the quarter. Um, you know, we we lead all of the states of the United States for export of manufactured goods that are manufactured right here in Texas. I mean, across all economic measures, we're solid. I mean, we're we're a global player. Uh, we're, when, when it's down to infrastructure, I mean, something most people don't realize is, is that every cabinet level position in, in the federal government, there is a, an analog, a direct analog for it right here in Texas. So we already have the, the framework for an independent self-governing nation state. But I, I think there's a, a discussion here um, that, that is really more important. And it gets down to this idea of, who, who is capable of being a self-governing independent nation state. And uh, we, were, we were talking before the show, and I, and I mentioned a name for you guys. Um, there was a, a, one of my favorite people ever on the planet, uh, Dr. Thomas Naylor, uh, who, is, who has since passed uh, many years back. Uh, but Dr. Naylor was the founder of the Second Vermont Republic, or he was one of the founders. He was a professor emeritus of economics at Duke University. And he laid some of the groundwork in the in the early mid '90s over this thought process of states leaving the union, sort of a, a nice late 20th century model, early 21st century, uh, you know, a model of thought about this. And uh, of course, you know, he he was an advocate for Vermont independence, and and he and I had plenty of conversations about this. And and one of the things that that I always found fascinating about uh, Dr. Naylor's advocacy for Vermont independence was that he, he would always say that, it, look, it's not, it's not a matter of survivability. It's a matter of viability, right? And, and he would, he would, he would replay that over and over. And, you know, it, it became clear to me later exactly what he meant by just picking up a globe, spinning it and putting your finger down and realize wherever you put your finger, no matter where it is, there is a self-governing independent nation state there. And so this idea of can Texas make it or could New Hampshire make it or could Vermont make it or any other state, you're telling me right now that there are, you know, 200 recognized countries around the world. And somehow those people over there are smart enough, strong enough to figure this thing out. And people like us can't. So, just because, I mean, is it because of how long we've been tied to the federal system? Is that what puts us at a disadvantage? Or are we, are we made of the same stuff that carved this great land out of a wilderness, right? We've got the ability to be self-governing. If uh, 200 other self-governing independent nation states around the world can do it, we've got this. Yeah, I mean, there are 190 or so countries and how many of them, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 countries have less than 1 million people 
and they survive and they're not too tiny and weak and poor. And I've heard about the GDP. Texas has, has one of the biggest in the world. California has one of the biggest in the world. It would put them, uh, if they seceded, California and Texas would each be, like you said, number five or number 10 in the whole world for, you know, by, by country for GDP. So they would survive just fine. But going back to what you were saying earlier about about the different nations of, of Britain and, and France and Germany, of course, in the, in the EU. And, and we've spoken about a lot of comparisons with the EU. They were supposed right. to be a tiny union, a weak union, for just one or two reasons, economic or whatever. And the EU is taking over power, just like DC has taken over power, more and more back from 240 years ago, where it was several states connected by only a few highways and a bit of economic stuff, military and currency. And now the central government plans every single thing in every person's life. And the few state laws that are still individual by state are actually federal laws because the federal government influences states and forces them to implement speed limits. And it looks like it's by state. But yeah, I mean, every state in, in the U.S., and I don't call it the United States anymore because of people like you, you've inspired me to call it the divided states. So now at Liberty Block, we don't really write the U.S. or America or United States. We write divided states. So among the 50 divided states, there are 50 different nations. So people say uh, France and Britain are different. Yeah, they speak different languages. Texas and New Hampshire and Florida and California and Wyoming are almost that different from each other too. Because yeah. I've spent some time in, in, not California, but I have spent time in 40 different states, I believe, maybe more than 40. And, and of course, I've you know, done research online, so I know what the internet is. So you know, I know how things go in other states. There are different universes, different universe. I lived in New York City for 10 years. I visited Wyoming, different universe. When we said we couldn't carry at work, they didn't understand what that meant. In Wyoming, they said, oh, you can't carry concealed at work, so you open carry? And I'm like, no, in New York City, you don't carry You don't carry anything. No, you can't even say the G word. And they're like, no, what do you mean? So you leave it in your house? What do you mean? I'm like, no, you can't have it. But in Wyoming, <laughs> they couldn't understand not having a gun. And I said, it's legal, you know, very illegal. You can't, no one has a permit in New York. It's very hard to get. Right. The only people with a permit are, are Chuck Schumer and Donald Trump and NYPD. They can have it. But no one else has a gun in New York besides the criminals who don't obey the laws. So, but they couldn't understand it. Wyoming is very far from New York, different universe. Yeah. So almost as much as the different European states that have different countries in general, the different states in America, and again, state is synonym with, with country. So the different nations in America are that different. So that, that's just that's one more thing I wanted to mention. Well, now, look. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, after we're done with this whole topic, just kind of changing gears a little bit, I want to know the methodology, if you could explain exactly how the, the process of secession would occur. Because I'm actually not familiar exactly if there would be a, a voter, if you could explain how it would happen, I guess, procedurally. Yeah, for us uh, here in Texas, everything really boils down to, um, to the principle articulated in Article 1, Section 2 of our current state constitution, mm -hmm. uh, which says that all political power is inherent in the people, and the people have at all times the inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their form of government in such manner as they may think expedient. Uh, this, this is a, a principle that goes all the way back to the first Republic of Texas Constitution, 1836. So, you know, at the end of the day, this for us is going to have to land on a referendum, right? While, while other countries or states may decide to go a different route, uh, for us, we we are going to uphold that very fundamental constitutional principle and, and push for a referendum. Now, the good thing is, is that as we look at independence worldwide, you know, this global trend, uh, we see time and time again that the these end in, in referenda. I mean, people go to the polls and vote. So, uh, you know, the fact that we're going to be congruent with a global trend makes me pretty doggone happy. Um, that being said, for us here in Texas, talking about legal framework, uh, Texas does not have valid initiative like other states do. 
we we have referenda, right? We we have constitutional amendment elections every uh, every November after the legislative session ends. Uh, we have referenda on the local level, local option for alcohol, uh, for property tax increases, things of that nature, bond elections, things such as that. Okay, so we're not unfamiliar with it, but we don't have statewide initiative and referendum. So what that means for us is that means that we're going to have to go in and we've got to get legislation filed and passed in the Texas legislature to establish a framework for this vote and what it will look like on the other side of it. Uh, in the book, um, I, put, uh, I, I put the entire text of our proposed Texas independence referendum legislation. Uh, it took us a, a good while to come up with that. I mean, that's not something that we just scrawled on the back of a cocktail napkin. Uh, it's based off of what we have seen in independence referenda around the world, uh, tailored for what the Texas election code looks like uh, and, and how, uh, how we will have to carry that out here in Texas. But our first stop and the bottleneck and, and really the, the problem that has kept us from advancing this has been the Texas legislature which is where, as an organization, our sites are set right now. Who in the legislature has been holding it up? Well, I'll tell you right now. Uh, I, I, I just penned an open letter. I posted it on the TNM website at TNM.me. And uh, I, I shared some, some information that, frankly, we've never talked about. Uh, one of the biggest impediments that we have here in Texas on the issue of Texas independence is Governor Greg Abbott, uh, someone who is not particularly popular right now. Uh, for his eight executive actions regarding red flag laws and, and guns and, uh, you know, his initiation of an online cowboy Gestapo to monitor all of us. Uh, but one of the things that I, I talked about in the open letter were, were the actual proactive steps uh, that he's taken against Texas independence, against the people having a vote, all the way back to when he was a sitting attorney general. Yeah, I just read that. Did you see for that? So what do you think? Why do you think he doesn't support it? Do you see a reason? Has he publicly stated why he doesn't? He, Does he, he has states on higher office. Yeah, that, the last part, your la the, what you just said is really, I think, the, the nail on the head. Uh, you know, what we have seen, and I, and I hate to keep bringing this back to, to Brexit, but I, I think it is a very clear and public example. Uh, one of the things that, that we are seeing right now around the world and in independence movements is this idea uh, that um, it's not an, uh, the, the reality is, is that these independence movements like ours are a threat to the power of the political class and the establishment structure. Okay. Um, we have seen time and time again over the last 70 years when independent sentiment rises, the people decide they want their independence. One of the things that happens is it completely upends the status quo and destroys the power base uh, of the political class. And so, you know, you cast it, you cast it in the, this independence drive among these, you know, what you'd call first world nations or the, in, in the developed world, uh, where they, they have these long established political class that is super disconnected from the people. And, and what you find is that they uh, have a tendency to to want to push back against this, and so at their very nature, they have to be uh, they have to be popular movements. I mean, they have to be movements. It can't be um, you know really political parties or whatever. It has to be a movement. 
So how popular is the Texas nationalist movement now in Texas? Do you know how much support you have or have you done a lot of good polling? Yeah, we uh, I'll tell you, it's it's odd. People kind of look at it like we run this thing out of our garage, uh, which is hilarious that we get mis uh, we get underestimated an awful lot, which is a total mistake. Uh, but, you know, if you look at, at, at our number of declared supporters, right, we, we actually publish it on the front page of our website. Uh, you, you put that in context of the same type of numbers that you would get from another political organization, right? Got to take the political parties out of the equation here in Texas because the political parties, you don't register for a political party. You become a member automatically by voting in their primary, right? So you got to look at others like, say, the Texas State Rifle Association or so some others. And, and what you find out is the TNM by declared support is probably, if not if not the largest, one of the largest political organizations here in Texas. Uh, by percentage of registered voters, uh, you know, on, on a per capita basis, because we serve Texas only, uh, we would be, if, if we were sort of a, if you were to break it out across the entire union by, per, you know, a per capita of, of registered voters, we'd be one of the largest across the whole United States. Uh, we're the second largest in the Western Hemisphere, which is pretty awesome, and one of the largest in the world. Um, you know, we, this issue gets polled on a fairly, uh, I'd say not a regular basis by third party polling, but you go back to like 2014 and you see there's a Reuters Ipsos poll that I talk about in the book. And we talk about it an awful lot, uh, where they ask the question if Texans, they ask the question, if your state, if you believe your state should leave the union and here in Texas, the breakdowns on that were 54% Republican, right about half of independent voters and 35% of Democrats. Uh, what, what we do is since 2009, most people don't realize is that about every two to three months, uh, we conduct our own statewide internal polling. And uh, we have always used very large sample sizes. So we, we sample out, um, obviously, the, the 30 most populous counties in Texas, uh, plus a, a good sample size of all the other counties. So we get a nice statewide average. And what we have seen is we've seen those numbers hold and grow. Uh, on any given uh, polling cycle for us, uh, people that want to leave the union poll about six to eight percentage points higher than those who absolutely want to stay. So we know that at the end of the day, when when we get down to sort of brass tacks of, of going in to have a campaign to fight for a referendum that's going to end in a vote, uh, we know that the real territory that we're going to have to fight over is somewhere about 10 to 12 percentage points of undecided people. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact that we continually poll ahead of people that want to stay, uh, the fact that we continually outpoll people that have a favorable view of the federal government is, is just, uh, I think, proof positive that we've got solid support here. I mean, uh, and there's some, some even more practical examples, like our run at the 2016 uh, Republican state convention, you know, one of the largest political conventions in the world, literally, no kidding. Um, uh, most people don't realize that. And the fact that we forced a floor vote on the a floor vote and fight on the issue of independence uh, in front of global media uh, and won. I mean, anyone what who was the result of that? I remember there was something about the convention. What happened? Yeah. Um, you know, not 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 to roll the clock back too much, but but we essentially ran a strategy where we said, okay, uh, there's a mechanism here in, in the Texas election code where we could, by petition, force uh, an issue on the primary ballot, 
right? So we have we have initiative and referendum on the party level, but nothing binding, right? So it would be for the party to add something to the platform. So we we started this campaign to do it. And then the campaign before the wrap up was picked up by one of the members of the state Republican executive committee named Tanya Robertson. And Tanya introduced it at the, uh, the December SREC meeting in 2015. And again, Greg Abbott appears, Greg Abbott sent staffers in to try to kick the legs out from under it, which was fine. They did, but the fact that, that they had to out themselves, was a, a big benefit, but you go beyond that and you say, okay, so once we had that, we had the media attention, we had a, yet again, TNM members that also vote Republican getting disenfranchised, being discarded, treated like garbage. Uh, what we did was we ran a campaign to elect precinct chairs uh, all across the state and in, in the, beyond electing precinct chairs, electing delegates to the convention and, uh, and introducing our resolution, our addition to the platform, okay? So that led up to the state convention where they did everything they could in the committee meetings the week ahead to try to kick the legs out from under us. Uh, they, they pulled a nice little flea flicker at the last minute. And so what we did was we pulled uh, a tactic of actually introducing it on the floor of the convention. We had the mic, as a matter of fact, uh, the lady who actually stepped up, I see right over here to the left, the lady who actually took to the mic and forced the, the floor fight on the independence referendum resolution to the platform, she's, uh, she's watching and listening right now. So uh, we were able to get a floor debate on the issue. As a matter of fact, the video is all out there. And we're your goal was to, get, was to get this independence into the Republican Party of Texas platform? Uh, oddly enough, no. Uh, you know, I, th this is, although that's where, that's where it headed, that there were really two things that, that we wanted to prove as an organization. Um, number one, we wanted to, to prove that there were a majority of Republicans or at least a significant number that supported the right of the people of Texas to have a vote on the issue. Okay. So there was, there was a, um, that was and then the second one was really to make the Republican Party of Texas chairman eat his hat uh, because he had spent months going around in the media and saying people like us didn't exist. We were kooks, et cetera, et cetera. So I needed a way to make sure to publicly embarrass this guy and enforce this particular issue. And, and that's exactly what happened. Look, when when it came time for the vote. It, it was it was a, an amazing thing to watch because you know you've got this convention with nine thousand delegates that are having to have a that, that have just been subjected to a very public debate in front of global media over whether or not Texas should leave the union because by the time we got to the floor fight the question was no longer about whether we should have a vote on it it was Texas should leave the union right we we were this close to getting that in the platform. And, and when it came time for the standing vote, for the eyes and the nays and, and all of that wonderful stuff, the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas had to call it the wrong way to shut us down. So people were so furious that you had a good 20 to 25% of the convention walk out because of the call that he made. So, you know, we, we were able to execute this all in public view. 
and we were able to have a public debate on this issue. We were we were able to to prove our point that there there is a majority of Republican voters in Texas that feel that Texas would be better off as an independent nation. And we were able to show up the political establishment for what they are, which is a bunch of cheaters and liars. Uh, so it, you know, it, it, it was funny. One of the, uh, one of the members of the state Republican executive committee at the time was actually in our Senate district. Right. So she was sitting, she was sitting in front of us. And when the vote went down the way that it did, I, I couldn't control my laughter. And she thought, she looked back, she says, I thought you'd be way more disappointed. I, I told her, I said, no, we got everything we wanted. <laughs> we, we got everything that we wanted. So what exactly would have to happen for the the secession referendum to get onto the ballot? You said, I didn't understand exactly what you said about the ballot. How exactly would, would Texas put it to a vote or, or how would that mechanism work exactly? Yeah, so in, in the book, and, and this is what I mentioned, and I, I may not have been clear, uh, the Texas Nationals Movement has proposed legislation called the Texas Independence Referendum Act, okay? Uh, it's it's in the book, but it's also on the website. If you go to tnm.me slash referendum, you can download a copy of it. Uh, but uh, essentially what has to happen is that legislation, or at least some form of that legislation, needs to be introduced and passed out of the Texas legislature. Uh, and then, and then you know, we get we get a vote on the thing. We get a public debate and we get a vote. So that's that's where it goes. And then beyond the vote, there are some provisions that, that in the bill that we have uh, proposed that establish a two year time frame for transition and negotiation. Uh, there there are a couple of other sort of technical things that, that need to happen to minimize disruption. I go into those in a lot of detail in, in the book, some things that are going to have to be done. There are some some things that are usual for nation states that even though we have analogs for the offices, the federal level offices, we don't have the clear analog for their functions. For example, international relations. Texas engages in some international relations now, primarily on the economic side of things. Uh, but, you know, we've got, you know, we don't issue passports and, you know, there's some things along those lines. Uh, there's some things that we will have to do in regard to the existing Texas, uh, the Texas military department to prepare it for a full blown, you know, national defense and, and things of that nature. So there, there are some, some very technical things. And I do talk about those in the book um, that, that we'll have, ha that we'll have to do, but literally all roads at this moment lead right through the Texas legislature. And then once that, once that passes the house and Senate, does it need the Republican, the uh, governor's signature? Yeah, depending on the the level of vote, uh, there are really two approaches. If it is approached, um, if it is approached in the legislature as a bill, uh, which honestly I'm I'm not I'm not entirely sold that the bill method is the best method, but it seems to be the one with the least amount of problem. Um, I, I believe that we could get it through the legislature, and even if the governor vetoed it we would still, the, the, the support that we would have in the legislature that would get us to that point could overturn the veto. Okay. So there, right. there's some, some, some practice, some practical political calculus that, that leads me to, to that. But I, I'll be honest, my, my preference on a personal level would be to see it, uh, to see the provisions of the independence uh, referendum act be uh, placed in the Texas constitution with its own sunset privilege. 
So therefore, what it could do effectively is the mechanism for removing Texas from the union and asserting its status as an independent nation, could the vote could literally be a constitutional amendment to the state constitution, and that would serve as the vote. Uh, the downside to that, um, the, 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 let me just tell you the upside. The upside is, is that uh, if we pursue it that way, then it would be placed before the voters of Texas uh, automatically. In other words, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no one that can say we need to have it on this election or that election. It, it would happen the November following the legislative session, which I, and I'm not sure if you know, but here in Texas, we have a true part-time legislature. Our legislature only meets for 140 days every other year. And so the November after they get out of session is when constitutional amendment elections take place. So the, the upside is, is that if we pursued it that way, there would be a set date. Everyone would know that it would happen. We know what the debate period would be. The downside uh, of that is, is that there's no, you know, you've got basically a few months in the run up to the vote and no time to really drill down and air out some of the issues that, that are going to take some time. Um, you know, some, some of the some of the challenges that we saw with Bre with the Brexit vote were related to the time between David Cameron calling the referendum and when the referendum was held in that short period of time. You know, not that they didn't right. debate it a lot before that, but it would be nice to have an opportunity to really air these issues out and, and drill them down. But, you know, the other side will take that time to also campaign against it. Absolutely. Look, I, I suspect that that the Texas that the the campaign over Texas when this goes to a vote will probably will probably be the first billion dollar Texas campaign. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, there are people who are not going to want it, and, and it's complicated. And and then I have some pessimistic questions and some optimistic questions for you afterwards. But there will be people. Let's say in general, the federal government they love ruling over a massive country. Right now, they get to say we rule over America. And they say America is one country and it's the most powerful nation on earth. It's one of right. the most populous. If 30 million leave, now it's no longer as populous and it's no longer as powerful. And that makes them less powerful. You're not a U.S. senator for America anymore. You're a U.S. senator for just a small country with less than 300 million people. So that's hey, the one reason. All that student debt Bernie won't have to worry about anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm going to get to a question about that. But I think that a lot of them in the federal government uh, and a lot of others will, they, they might spend like you said, hundreds of millions or billions on a yeah. campaign against it. Now, on the flip side, I'm going to be an optimist now, which is rare. I would Very think, rare. a part of me would think that the entire American political left, because in general, the U.S., the, the divided states, I should say, is roughly 50-50, half leftist, half Democrat, or 50% Republican, right? In a sense, those 50%, they should support Texas because if Texas leaves, that means it's no longer 50-50. It's 60 or 70% Democrats, meaning they can finally pass all of those wonderful bills they want, like universal health care for all, and we need democratic socialism. They can finally have all of that if, the, if Texas leaves. So, it, But it doesn't seem like all those leftists are supporting Texas. Why not? Uh, they're hypocrites. Uh, they, they, can't, you know, they can't zero in on anything. Um, they, they can't be consistent. Look, you know, here's here's the bottom line. Um, it's funny. I had a had a an interview with a, a reporter from a, a pretty large magazine uh, this week, and and his editors. It was a follow up. And his editors said that he needed to call me and give me a little more pushback. And and oddly enough, most of our conversation was spent 
over that particular one right there, uh, where there was this this uh, this idea somehow that if Texas leaves the union, then the union's going to spin apart, or you know that, that people love the union being all fifty states, and you know they might that, and because of that, they may reject um, our our proposal that we reduce the number of stars on the flag by two percent. Um, you know, the, and, and my, my take on it is this, is that at the end of the day, this is a question of self-government for the people of Texas, right? This is about how we want to govern ourselves. And, and if we're concerned about what everyone else is thinking about this, right? In all these other states, doesn't it effectively negate what it is that we're trying to do? I mean, you know, no, no one, no one has, any concern whatsoever about what the people in Uganda think about Texas independence, but suddenly right. we should, we should be concerned about what people in South Dakota think about it or Massachusetts. Right. Um, you know, this, this, the, the, the left on this issue has been terribly, the only thing consistent about their position is how inconsistent it has been. You know, we go back to, to 2000 when Al Gore, uh, when Al Gore lost the presidential election and we saw, that all of these people for the previous, you know, eight years or so for four, four or five years previous had really been taking their, their pen and, and paper and dumping on people who thought that Texas should be independent, right? We heard all the same crap, the constitution, it's unconstitutional, it's illegal. The civil war settled that. I mean, all of the normal, all of that garbage, anyone who thinks like that is fringe, they're kooks, they're terrorists. I mean, it was literally everything, right? And then, then take it to 2000, Al Gore loses the election, and suddenly every one of those same publications that had spent the previous four to five years excoriating us for just even suggesting the idea of self-government were suddenly like, well, maybe it's time that the blue states leave the union, right? Like it, they're it, doing now. It's exactly what they're doing right now. And it was literally the funniest thing that happened in you know November of 2016. Is that in in all of that that time, those those left wingers absolutely would pile on our Facebook pages, our social media. They would send us hate mail. You know, we would hear all the same garbage: illegal, unconstitutional, Texas versus white, domestic terrorist, on and on and on. All that garbage, and then all of a sudden, these guys are like, "Oh my God, Trump's president! We got to get out of here!" You know, suddenly Cal Exit is is something that these guys are writing these uh, long winding odes to. Right. Uh, suddenly, that's the best idea since sliced bread. It's like, wait a minute, you know. Um, I, you know, I feel kind of like the meme of the guy, you know, the gal holding hands with the guy, and the guy's looking back at the gal who just walked past. You know, right. it's like, wait a minute, what? What about us? Right? Are, are we? Do we still? You know, do we? Are we still pond scum, or are we okay now? Well, that's the great thing about it. And CalExit apparently it, it was created, the California Secession Movement. It was created before Trump's election. But right. of course, Trump being elected, of course, gave them massive support and inspiration. Right. And a lot more Californians now support CalExit. And now I think it's heating up. And and also some of its leadership, at least some of the people who work with CalExit, are at least they're leftists, but and they want a more socialist nation than even the US is. They want to be independent so they can be super socialist. But right. they're mature enough that they realize that even though they think conservative or, or pro-freedom libertarians, they think we're, we're ignorant and mistaken and misled, they, they're smart enough that they can, and decent enough, they can work with us and, and say, we agree on one thing. 
uh, division. You know, we're united on division, ironically, but we yeah. we can both unite on the one issue of of division of independence. And yeah. they realize that that California, they're they're kind of misled, but they, they're smart enough to at least realize California wants to rule itself because they are you know Feinstein, Harris, Pelosi type people, and a little crazy like Maxine Waters. And the people in Texas are different, and New Hampshire is different, and Florida and Wyoming and Carolina, and they realize that we're very different. So I think. Like, like you said, um, secession's gotten a bad rap, obviously. And even I learned in school that secession and slavery are almost synonymous. It's almost like the same word, literally. Secession's a bad word, like slavery, they're both S-words. And even Mark Levin, you know, the greatest conservative pro-freedom guy, and he, he worships Lincoln, says the Civil War settled that, and he says secession is illegal. Why? Because Lincoln, the dictator, said so. Okay, well, a lot of things are illegal because, you know, Hitler said so, right? Like being Jewish is illegal, right? So Mark Levin, and again, hopefully you can convince him to, to see reason practically, but also morally, also legally and historically. I don't care what Mark Levin thinks. <laughs> if, I didn't make, if I didn't make that clear, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I don't even think about Mark Levin. Uh, now that you mentioned his name, suddenly I've thought about him, thanks. But it, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, look. This is this is the challenge, right? This is sort of the Mark Mark Levin centralist position versus the liberty and independence position, right? And and it's this: these guys all want to utilize the federal government to impose their political ideology on everyone, right? right. This one size fits none ideology, and and so that's why we see to circle back around to the very beginning of this conversation. Why we see these elections every four years turn into these ridiculous punch and Judy shows with people wanting to take turns with the bat to beat the crap out of the other guy. Right. And, and so the, you know, this is, this is the price that is paid for forcing us into a union that says we must be absolutely one sovereign. You know, we must be one body politic when in fact that we're not. And, and look, if you want, if anyone wants like if anyone out there wants to understand what this looks like, it, it, it ends badly, right? The 20th century is proof positive that those types of things end very badly, right? Look at, look at the manufactured country of Iraq, right? The British created Iraq. They forced a bunch of people to live together that didn't want to live together, right? Sunni Muslims, Shia Muslims, and Maronite Christians. What happened? To keep them together, they had to put a strong. There had to be a strong man in power who controlled every facet of their lives. Strong man was removed. All of those, all of those differences, because those people weren't allowed to govern themselves, they began to kill each other. Right? Iraq is terrible. You want another example? Go back to Yugoslavia, and you understand that when you force people together into these absolute political and economic unions that control every facet of their life. And you try to govern a people that don't want to be governed by that uh, against their will. At the moment that that's removed, things go very horribly wrong. And and I don't want to see that. I don't want Texas independence to be a reaction to bad circumstances, whether it be economic, you know, issues or you know, economic collapse or you know, right. some some uh, revocation of an irrevocable, inalienable right. I don't want it to be a reaction. I want it to be proactive. I want it to say, look, I, we don't want to do this out of pain. We want to do this out of a sense of the future and what we can become. Yeah, I often compare the unity. Yeah, sorry. Do it because it's the right thing to do at the right time. Bingo. Yeah. I often compare it to, to a married couple, and, and it's sad, but eventually if they begin to fight and literally hurt each other and physically hurt each other and emotionally hurt each other, and they don't get along, and then remaining together in the same house and in the marriage, 
is bad for both of them and bad for everyone else because of of just all the horrible things they're doing. You know, people are, are affected outside of it as well. Shouldn't they separate? Isn't that best for everyone if they can have some kind of amicable divorce or even any kind of divorce? And that's what I say. And people say, no, we're we're America's one big family. We're you know we are states to get united. Really? Yeah. Everyone admits now. I don't think many people dispute that. You know, the bitter leftists in California want to kill the conservatives and pro and pro-freedom libertarians. They want to kill you. Just just today, I saw a YouTube video a few hours ago of, I think it was some leftist and some conservative was at um, an anti-immigration, you know, anti-ICE rally, abolish ICE. And this conservative was pretty polite, more polite than most of these guys who go into these rallies to provoke a reaction. And he said, you know, he, he was having a good discussion with someone about their immigration stance. And some, some leftists said, this is why we need to bring back uh, firing squads, you know, to kill all conservatives. So they, they want to kill us. And again, now you have Swalwell who, who wants to nuke us and Beto, your friend Beto from Texas, wants to you know take away all the guns. But you need to watch your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but people, I think everyone admits now, it's really hard to deny it, right? Everyone, they hate each other. And you have conservatives saying they're going to kill them. Demo you know, leftists saying they're going to kill pro-freedom people. Let's just separate. And how do you oppose that? It's, it's a pretty tough argument to make that we shouldn't separate when a husband and wife are literally beating each other to, to half to death. Why wouldn't they separate? It's hard to argue against that. Yeah, it's it's weird. You know, look, I I think it's it's interesting because people want to want to pitch this idea of Texas independence as uh, one that's you know we're anti something, right? We're we're anti leftist, right? You know, and right. and look, I mean, there are there are certain ways that people behave, certain ideologies that are really incongruent with the Texas identity, the Texas experience our history, our way of life. I mean, th those things are, there are some things out there that are just incongruent, but, but I don't, I don't look at this as an anti anything movement. For me, it, it is really about recapturing and reclaiming this right that is laying dormant. You know, you look at article one, section one of the Texas constitution. You know, I mentioned article one, section two, all ago, article one, section one is kind of interesting. Uh, you have to remember our constitution that we have now is a post-Civil War constitution, right? So these are the thoughts of the people 10 years after the end of the Civil War. And, and it's interesting because it says that Texas is a, a free and independent state subject only to the Constitution of the United States. And it says the perpetuity of the union depends on the right of local self-government unimpaired to all the states. So it, it effectively holds out this idea that our continued participation in the union is predicated upon this preservation of the right of local self-government, AKA stay out of our affairs. Right. And, and interestingly enough, it doesn't specify the right of local self-government for Texas. It says all the States. Right. So, so there is this, this idea that, okay, great. Look, we can, we can say that article one, section one is the trigger. Right. Because I think anyone would be hard pressed to make a case that the right of local self-government has not been impaired. Right. I mean, it has absolutely been impaired. Right. And so, you know, you've got Article one, Section two, which declares this right to reform, alter, abolish is an inalienable right. And, and we see what all of these things are happening with the federal government and we can make a case. Right. A grievance based case. But I think the the more important aspect of this is to not is to is for us to look past what the grievances are, right? We don't ignore them. We understand them. We understand that those motivate us, that we want to address those grievances. We want to solve these challenges. But but we also need to be looking forward to what we can do on the other side of this, right? 
at, at the moment that we have independence, whether it's Texas or any other state, you know, it's a blank slate for us. I mean, in, in some ways, right? But the future is unwritten, right? Our futures are no longer tied to two and a half million unelected bureaucrats in a dysfunctional governing federal system in Washington, D.C. We have an opportunity to do things that we've never done. We have an opportunity to solve problems and address challenges that we've never had before. Now, that is the kind of thing that, that kind of, that you know, I always say, I always tell people in the TNM, look, don't ever forget what burns your what what burns your butt in the first place, right? But but I will tell you, although I never forget the things that personally motivated me to get in this fight, I never lose sight of the fact that this is really about our opportunity to write the future. Now, if you did get a chance to secede, and then within a few months there was some uh, kind of uh, don't you mean excuse me, don't you mean when? Yes, yes, yeah, I really no, do okay. hope so. When <laughs> Texas becomes independent and leaves the terrible failure that is the U.S. government, and right. you get to have some kind of constitutional convention, what provisions, because I, I think you're realistic like I am, and you think that politicians in and of themselves, the political office existing is the problem. It's not bad people, it's politicians. And once you're elected, if you're elected, eventually you'll have an expiration date of your morals, and in 50 years you'll be you know, a corrupt bastard like them. What would you do if you could amend the US, the Texas Constitution once you are your own republic to ensure that it will stay free and the government will really stay weak? Because in 76, 1776, some smart people tried and they failed. What would you do better than them learning from their mistakes to make sure Texas never becomes the U.S. government? Well, uh, there, there are a lot of reasons why I think that Texas will not become that way. But look, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, right? I'm going to be absolutely straight with you. I say this to as many people as I possibly can. As long as we have humans, human beings involved in government, the probability that it is going to get screwed up is absolutely 100%. Right? It, it, is, it is going to be that way. So until our, until our artificial intelligence-based overlords come in and, uh, and control everything, Actually, Skynet. I don't know. I don't know that they could coming. screw. I don't know that Skynet could screw it up any more than it's already screwed up. But but my point here is, is that I tell better. people, look, Texas independence. We don't promise utopia, right? We're not saying that this is going to be some absolute paradise, and you know we're all going to lay around in togas and eat grapes, right? That because it's not realistic. As long as people are involved in the process, there will always be. Uh, this this element that wants to try to to expand government, grow government, and use it for it for immoral ends. That's just the nature of the beast, right? But but here's the difference, and here's why I think this is so vitally important. Why Texas independence is is extremely important right now. When you look at these layers of government, the federal government is a layer of government that we don't need. It just so happens to be the absolute most corrupt, but it's a, a layer that we don't need. And so if we can discard that layer, then what happens? Well, all of a sudden now, politicians aren't trying out for some office in Washington, D.C., right? People in Texas are no longer distracted by the nightly news about what's happening in Washington, D.C., and which congressman paid off his sexual assault with his campaign yeah. funds or taxpayer money, or they're not caring what Trump tweets. Suddenly that stuff doesn't matter, right? What matters is what's happening right here. 
And the difference is what's happening right here are the things that we can control, right? What's happening in Washington, D.C., the thing that consumes 95% of most people's attention are things that we cannot control. It, it, is a, it is a math problem in the sense that Texas has 36 people in the House of Representatives and two people in the United States Senate out of a total of 535. Even if all of our people were in lockstep, we will get outvoted every single solitary time. So, you know, what I'm not, and I tell people, I'm not promising utopia. What I'm promising is a chance. And that's more than what we've got right now. Yeah, and now I have to be a little pessimistic. One of the Liberty Block editors, who's even even more pessimistic than I am, often <laughs> says about secession, because he agrees with us that the U.S. government is screwed. Each state individually is, is pretty screwed. But ultimately, secession is the only chance. And I believe that here in New Hampshire as well, in Texas, if, if our grandkids are going to know any freedom, anything other than, than Cuba, North Korea type communism, if they will know freedom, it'll be because of secession. If we don't secede now within 50 years, 80 years, the U.S., every state will look something like North Korea or Cuba. It'll be bad. Now, Laser, one of the Liberty Block editors, says that if secession does happen, which is our only chance, still, the U.S. government, if they don't want secession to happen, which they probably won't because they love ruling 50 big states, not 49 or 48, and once one leaves, they can all leave, the U.S. government will squash you and embargo you and screw you on trade and maybe even militarily and maybe even kill you all. Like, you know, they didn't think Lincoln would do it, but they said, we're going to leave, and he said, if you leave, I'll kill you, and they left, and he did, you know, kill them like 700,000 of them. So what would you respond to someone like that? And it, it, it's, again, it's a question that I, concern that I have too. It's, it's pretty pessimistic, but I think there's some, some truth to it that the U.S. government, who is bigger than Texas, would put, place embargoes. Because I know you have a border with, Texas, with uh, Mexico and you have some ports on, on the ocean, which is great. But if they embargo you and the U.S. Navy, which is bigger than you right now, say that you can't trade and they punish any states or other nations that trade with you, do you think you could answer that concern? Yeah, look, uh, I think the bottom line here, I mean, and I, oddly enough, it's something we get quite often, um, this, this spirit of, of fear. You know, what, what if the federal government attacks us? You know, what are they? And, and there are very, if, if you take a step back away and you realize, okay, when I woke up this morning, I didn't wake up in, in the 1800s. I literally, I woke up in the 21st century. Uh, you got to look at, at there are all of these factors that are relevant and recent right? So game it out, just like the federal government would. So let's say that they, uh, that Texas happens, the people go to the polls and they vote for it. And they say, we're reclaiming our right of self-government, right? It's not going to be a secret, right? No one will have to, no one will have to go read, uh, read about it, sharpie on a bathroom wall somewhere. It will be international news, right? It will be the talk of the globe in the run up to afterwards in the result. So the next move is on Washington, D.C. So number one, what are their options? Well, okay, we're going to let it abide and we're going to economically embargo them. Well, all of a sudden now, one of the things that they have to be concerned with is how are they going to refine the oil that they pull out of the ground? Uh, how, are they going to, how are they going to run their goods and services between the United States, Canada, and Mexico without having to divert them all the way over to California and then take them by boat or through Arizona and New Mexico, right? Um, you know, and, and this is a good time to brag that the Port of Laredo, I think, just uh, just exceeded the Port of Los Angeles in exports, but who's counting, right? Um, so so you look at it from that standpoint, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that 
Texas is a trade. Te- a lot of goods come out of Texas that are manufactured in Texas that are purchased by other countries around the world. Uh, in turn, a lot of those goods come into Texas and are consumed in Texas. So will those other countries stand by while the United States economically embargoes us, right? What would that do to the United States economy, which is, I, I think, the other side of this as well? The, and, and we know that if there was an economic embargo on Texas, okay, a.k.a. no goods, no services, no travel, the United States would be negatively impacted by that. And, and frankly, given what we know about the debt and we know about the precipitous nature of the dollar and its value. Oh, exactly. You know, you know, that's, that's not something that I don't think that's a road they want to go down. Right. So, so then you look at it from the military perspective and I will tell you, we've heard from numerous, uh, numerous officers in the military, not low ranking by any stretch of the imagination. And, and they say that this argument is actually the biggest crock of crap that they have ever heard. They said, because if the, the people of Texas go through a lawful election and make a decision at the polls for Texas to become an independent country, to be its own self-governing independent nation state, and someone in the White House said, well, my God, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invade those guys. Said the moment that that order came down, the Joint Chiefs would reject it, and you would have a you would have a mutiny on your hands. I mean, it, it would be it would be absolute chaos. As about half of the military refused to accept the order, right? So that's all predicated on this being done the right way, which is again why we why we continue to pursue this. But there are other practical practical issues as well. What is the willpower of the American people to watch? the United States Air Force bombing Walmart in Houston, Texas, right? Or arresting our governor, you know? What 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 is what does the willpower look like to see US troops on the streets of Texas? And well, here's, how- here's the thing. Well, you know how the US government will spin it. They're not going to say to the US troops that you need to go in there and and go arrest and kill people like Daniel Miller or go kill them because they want independence. They're going to when they when they uh, you know, brief all of their, their troops and their spec ops. They're going to say there are some crazy right-wing extremist, radical terrorists who are crazy pro-independence secession, you know, Dixie bastards in Texas, and they want us to secede and they're terrorists and anti-government and we need to go and detain them. That's how they're going to tell the troops. And that's so, a lot more so easy. How, how are they ex- so how are they going to explain the 9 million plus Texas voters that have to vote in favor of it for that scenario to even happen? You know, it, so is it so is it is it going to be the United States military calling all of their combat troops home to subdue nine million plus Texans? I mean, is that is that what it's going to look like? Because I, I think it'll be quite difficult understanding that about one out of every six combat troops is from Texas. So yeah. I, that's going to be an awkward moment in the barracks. Trust me. Uh, oh, I know but, the U.S. government's good at spinning things, right? They convinced military they didn't desert, right? Besides maybe Bergdahl, who's weird. I don't know what he did, but very few people desert when they say go invade Iraq, go invade you know Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Yemen. Sure. They they can they're good at spinning things, right? They can convince you to do certain things. They can convince troops this to do isn't, things. This isn't Yemen. This isn't Afghanistan. This isn't Iraq. You know, this is right. this is and 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 the other thing about this that I think you have to look at is. The last 70 years of U.S. foreign policy has been based on the protection and preservation of the right of self-determination. Okay, let's let's talk about Kosovo, right? How many times since since we're talking about how the U.S. government spends things, 
how many times has the United States engaged in the use of military force in support of the right of self-government for people, right? I mean, think think about the big show that they had when all the Iraqis went to the polls and mm -hmm. got the purple ink on their thumb because they got to vote for the first time, right? Let's think about the fact that U.S. warplanes and ground troops were used to protect the right of the people of Kosovo to a referendum on their independence, right? Even though we know there's a whole lot more to that story, the public story was it was in support of the right of self-determination. So, so imagine for a moment that the United States for the last 70 years, who has been the biggest showman on the stage advocating for the right of self-determination, imagine what happens when Texans go to the polls, they vote in a legally constituted election to leave the union. And the United States says, well, wait a minute, we're going to take these actions, whatever those actions are against Texas for doing this, against the 9 million people plus that voted for Texas to leave the union. This is what's going to, you know, these are the actions we're going to take. What will the international reaction be? You know, how, how well will 70 years of lectures on the right of self-government from these, uh, these self-important politicians in the United States federal government, how well will that sit on the ears and how long will it be before they trebuchet those right back over the wall into Washington, D.C.? That's a great point. Great point. But you said the one more thing I got I got to put you on because I, I am a pessimist and I've seen it happen. And I know you know this happens, too. Something will will occur that's legal. I say a president doing something that that's, he can legally do according to the Constitution. And then one judge, there are a lot of federal judges. If one says it's illegal, it, it is inherently illegal because judges make the law, right? Because judges, you know, can legislate. You know, legislators don't legislate. Judges legislate, right? Yeah. I remember my uh, civics class. So judges legislate nowadays, right? Trump is going to do one little thing. Trump blinks and a, one federal judge from, you know, the Ninth Circus or something says that's unconstitutional. You will have to be expecting if you're realistic, you have to expect after you have your convention and you get the referendum and 66% support it, or whatever the threshold is, even 99% of Texans voting to secede, one federal judge will say that is unconstitutional. And, and in doing so, he will he will prove every point that we have ever yes. made as to why Texas right. should be an independent nation. Uh, so, you know, at, at that point, I'm pretty sure that when, when we cross the 9 million Texan voter threshold and the results come in and the world sees it and some... Uh, black-robed uh, priest of the uh, federal godhood decides to come out and say this is bogus. I don't think Texans are going to care. They're going to they're going to look at that federal ruling exactly like I look at Mark Levin. Uh, but but to your to your greater point, uh, it really doesn't matter what those guys say. The issue of self determination is not uh, is not a judicial issue, right? It is a it is a political issue. Uh, this has been shown time and time and time. It's one of the reasons that Texas versus White as a Supreme Court decision is so far out of bounds. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, part of the part of the backlash that happened uh, when Texas versus White was ruled on was one that that dealt with this particular issue that he was legislating from the bench or attempting to do so. And in uh, this uh, this idea that the issue of, of independence and relationship with the union is not one that can be dealt with at a judge's bench, but has to be dealt with politically. So uh, that is that is an issue that has been held up uh, time and time again. You know, Texas versus White has been systematically dismantled piece by piece. Uh, the arguments in it ha have been utterly destroyed uh, since it was rendered. Uh, plus, you know, you have to deal with the fact that 
the United States signed the United Nations Treaty, and the United Nations Treaty says very specifically uh, that that uh, one of the purposes of the United Nations is the right of to uphold the right of self determination, right? And that and honestly, I really don't care about the United Nations either. That doesn't phase me, except for the fact that in Supreme Court case Missouri v. Holland, it said very specifically that treaty laws supersede any of these other particular laws that might otherwise break the treaty. So, uh, you know, look, I, I didn't sign that charter, but if, if I'm, if I need to beat the federal government over the head with what they have previously said, then, then I'm fine with it. But in other instances, when, when it comes to this issue of self-determination, they really don't have anything to say. This is a matter for Texans to decide, not for some federal judge. Now, do you think that you need a strong governor or some kind of leader to, when you said Texas will reject that, if some judge starts legislating from the bench and says, you're all a bunch of criminals and it's unconstitutional to vote for independence because we're one America, right? You, you said that Texas would not stand for that and they would you know, disagard the ruling. I agree. What if, now, what if Abbott tried to pull some kind yeah, of trick? exactly. If the yeah. governor didn't say that, you can't say that. You or some random person from Texas who's not a governor can't go to D.C. and say, screw you, we're not going to listen to that judge's ruling. So either it'll be a governor, which we all know governors are politicians and politicians don't care about the will of the people like Abbott, or it'll be you know kind of just independent, uh, diffuse guerrilla warfare where you have – 30 million or, or so random Texans fighting back guerrilla locally one-on-one -on -one against the feds who are, who are imposing their will. So how do you kind of reconcile that? Uh, well, there, there was a, a lot to unpack there. So, so let me, let me see if I can, if I can uh, dive off into this. Look, here's, here's the bottom line. And I think this is important. The political lines as we see them right now, uh, are as you head into a debate on Texas are not going to be the political lines when it, when it comes down to that. And, and, you know, when it comes down to really having this debate for real, right. In, in public discourse with a referendum at the end of it, uh, you know, the, the poll numbers that I shared with you earlier, the 54% of Republicans, about half of independents, a third of Democrats, uh, that is, that is kind of indicative of where issues like this lie. Okay, so uh, you're, you're going to have people in in all major, in both major political parties. Oh, let's lose Dan. If he uh, comes back when I try to get him back in. Sorry, give me one second. All right, he's coming back. Sorry, it looks like he dropped out there. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was weird. I wonder if some federal judge said that I, I shouldn't talk anymore. Shutting us down. You know, Mark Levin, you could at least just have, you know. <laughs> no. Always knew Mark Levin was a hacker. Uh, now, anyway, you look, here's the here's the bottom line. You know, the, the first and foremost, we have to look at it like, you know, this idea of somehow this breaks Republican or Democrat or whatever. We got to kind of, we have to divorce ourselves of that. And we have to say, these lines have yet to be drawn. Right. But when that line is drawn, the measure will be if the, the only dividing line will be, are you for this or are you against this? OK, so that being said, you know, you, you have to kind of walk through the process and understand that while, you know, the, the challenge that we have with so many of these particular politicians uh, is that their decision making is not based on some deeply held principle, but by, you know, shoving, licking and shoving their fat finger in the air to see which way the wind is blowing. If the wind is blowing so hard that you're going to have, you know, nine million ish 
Texans voting in favor of Texas leaving the union. Uh, I think politicians that do not adhere to that will, will absolutely um, be committing political suicide. And I mean, we're, we're seeing, we're seeing the fruits of that happen right now in the UK, right? We're, we're watching the political chaos as the, as parliament and the political establishment are throwing their tantrum and trying to undo the will of 17.4 million people. Are you optimistic enough to think that it'll ever happen? I would bet that Brexit will never happen. They keep delaying it, right? Right. So what's what's the latest? Is that maybe? I think that's happening. You need to have you need to have Nigel on to talk about this. Uh, yeah, you know, I, can, I can provide you with some content, but but look, here, here's the here's the thing. Um, there are some player analogs, but Texas and Brexit are not the same, right? We we say this a lot when we're talking about. Uh, why, why we keep up with so many of these guys internationally. Remember, we, I mentioned this earlier. One of the reasons being is that although we can get lessons, we can understand what the challenges are uh, by, by looking at their experience, there are no one-to-one analogs, right? In other words, everyone's experience is different. The Catalans, you know, UK, Scotland, and, and what's happening in the UK right now uh, is is really part and parcel of how the EU has done business in relation to the European Union, right? Where where they encourage people to take multiple bites at the apple until they get the the result that they want. I mean, if we want to talk about the treaty, uh, you know, the way that uh, the treaties were passed in Ireland, I mean, that's that's worth talking about, or some of these other places. But it, it's part and parcel of of how the EU just kind of does business, right? And what they do behind the scenes. And also an accumulation of about a decade plus worth of really terrible decisions that were made in British politics, like the Fixed Term Parliament Act. So you know there there are some some very good reasons to to say this is why Brexit has been such a cock up, right? But the beautiful part about that is none of those challenges we have here in Texas, right? We've got our own challenges. Yeah. We just don't have those challenges. And, uh, and, you know, thankful, uh, I'm, I'm very glad that we don't have something like the fixed term parliament act and we don't have to go get the queen's assent or consent and that we don't have an unelected house of Lords and, you know, all of those types of things. Um, but it, it but there is one thing that is fundamental and that is, that, that is in common. And that is that there is an established polit- political class that would prefer that this did not happen. Not only do they prefer that it did not happen, they would prefer that we did not even have the conversation because having this conversation in a very large and public way brings up some really uncomfortable issues that the people should have with the way the political class runs the show. And not enough states have that conversation. That we all need to. I mean, you're spot on. We, we all need to be having this conversation and asking this question, like how much do, do we send in taxes to the federal government and how much comes back? How many of the laws that are passed in our state are directly attributable to federal regulation, federal mandate, federal law? I know that in our last legislative session, 41% of the bills filed directly referenced federal law, federal regulation, federal court decision. That's, That's almost half. That's just the ones that directly referenced it, not the ones that were just that were just filed in response to that would probably kick it up over half. So you it sounds like the federal government is impeding Texas governing itself. Boy, I, you know, if if uh, if 
I, I would just say this is that it, it's very difficult to look at the trigger of Article One, Section One, and say that it has not been pulled. All right, I have a question. I'm going to put on my uh, Elliot hat for a minute and go pessimist, like full pessimist. <laughs> what if what what if the the vote came down and it ended up being no? What's the next step for you? Uh, well, uh, look, I'll tell you. Uh, I think it'll go yes, but if it goes no. If there's a referendum, how many citizens in that referendum have to vote? Is it 50% or 60 or 66? Is you talking about what, what voter turnout should be or what the result? So what? How many do you need? For, if it's statewide, if you get it onto a referendum, how many? what percent do you need? Well, 50% plus one. You only need a majority. Okay. Yeah. Some, some states have a ballot initiative or referendum where you need 66%, right? Yeah, and that's that's not it here. It's you know we're we're majority rules, which is great. Um, you know we we project, you know, and and we've done we've done a lot of analysis on this, but we project that voter turnout will be somewhere in in the neighborhood of sixty to seventy percent. That would be that's that's where we think it will it will hover in on, which would be pretty good. phenomenal. You know. Uh, but all of our numbers are based on that as the average. So, so to your point, what happens if it's a no? Uh, I, I don't countenance a no um, because I don't see any way that we do not make the case. And I don't see any way that the opposition can make a case, right? If you think about even going full pessimist, okay, let's, let's just go back through this entire discussion and let's look at all the pessimist, pessimistic things that were brought up, right? All of those are just project fear kind of stuff, right? Yeah. It's basically just a kind it's a, it's apocalypse porn wrapped into political horror. I mean, that's what it is. Notice, notice the one thing that never happens when people talk about this and it's that no one that's opposed to it really comes up with practical problems with how this would work, nor can they create a positive case as to why we should stay. Right. right? I, I love to flip the tables on these guys. Like, think about this thought exercise. If Texas were independent right now, or your respective states, if, if it were independent now, would you vote to join the union? Right? So, Hell no. <laughs> what, so what, what is, what is the positive case there? Right? I mean, th think about what, think about what the benefits are, right? $22 trillion worth of debt day one, guess, you know, so, so that's a big benefit. Is it the fact that most of your laws are going to be made in a capital by people you didn't elect? You know, is it going to be that most of the laws that are shoved down your throat from that same capital are crafted in a way to help someone else and not really you, or that they shouldn't even exist at all? Or that if your state, the people of your state make a decision about how they want to govern themselves, it can be overturned by the stroke of a pen by some black robed apologist for the federal, for the uh, the federal religion, right? So you know what what it, we know beyond a shadow that we can make the positive case, right? We can make the case, <clears throat> but one thing that we have not seen in all of our years of doing this is we have never seen the opposition come in and say, "Here's here's why we should stay," and it doesn't involve suggesting that that the United States will bomb the hell out of you, right? It's just. So I, I I don't see how we could lose. I, I just don't. That's an Do incredible see, case. I've never heard it put that way. Of if you, you are not it? in the United Right. Yeah. Uh, how close do you think it is? Do you see it happening in the next five years? I wish it were optimistic about. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I 
I, I wake up every day and I think I'm one day closer to independence, right? Um, I, 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 think, right I, I say that again. Realistically, are we closer than when you started back in 96? I, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, what, what we have seen is we have seen really two factors. We've seen the, the interest increase from the people of Texas. And, and more than that, I think we have seen a shortening of the way in the sense that prior back at, say back in the nineties and early two thousands, uh, it was very difficult to make people see or understand what specifically the grievances were and right. to look past sort of the, the fear mongering that, that came, that came along with opposition to it. Right. So, so we've seen those things happen. I, I can tell you right now that when we started the Texas nationalist movement in 2005, independence support was polling in single digits. Okay. I mean, single digits. Now, the great thing about it is we have always pulled, this issue has always pulled higher than the approval rating for the United States Congress. Right. So that makes me immensely happy. Um, but you know, what, what we have seen steadily is we have seen that number increase to the numbers that I, I told you guys earlier, you know, so I, I know that the people are ready. I'll give uh, you some credit for that, but the U S politicians also must take some credit because they suck and they're turning people off. <laughs> well, you know, it's, a, we always laugh that it's a, it's always a, a, a competition every month for the top TNM recruiter uh, between the Supreme court, the U S Congress or the presidency. You know, I mean, it's the, it's always the big joke, but you know, look, it's, it's one of the things though. I mean, I, and I get your point, but I think it's also important to understand that the federal government guys did things crappy before too. Right. But the, the real, the real value that the TNM has had has been to, to really put this issue out there in a, in a real thoughtful way into the political discourse. I mean, think about this. Had it not been for the work of the TNM, what happened at that that very widely broadcast incident at the uh, Republican convention? Mm -hmm. uh, people wouldn't have thought about that. I mean, I, I literally, in my role in the TNM, have been on every national media outlet throughout the United States, in Texas, and around the world, talking about Texas independence. We get invited to international conferences to talk to people about the right of self-determination and how fundamental that is. Uh, you know, we've spoken to, we've held thousands of, of public outreach events in Texas over the years. Uh, you know, we, we, we get the message out there and, and that's the important part of this. I mean, to, to circle this thing back around, uh, the one thing all people, if, if someone's watching out there from another state right now and is thinking, you know, I wish my state was doing what the TNM is doing in Texas. The, the one piece of advice I can absolutely give is never forget that it's about the people. You know, it's all political power is inherent in the people, right? Article one, section two, if you always, it's, it's the message that we tell even to these international audiences at these international conferences, never forget that it's about the people and understanding that the right of the people to self-determination is inalienable and is fundamental as the right in the freedom of speech and the right to keep and bear arms and the, you know, the right to be secure in your persons and your papers, it's a right just like that. And if you treat it like that and you understand it in that way and, and you find other people that feel the way that you do or help them understand that it's important, uh, you, you can't lose. 
It's incredible. You are so principled. You better not ever run for office because if you become a politician and start becoming corrupt, it would be pretty disappointing. I tried that. I, hey, I ran for state representative back in uh, in 2012 uh, during the redistricting fiasco. That was fun. <laughs> is there any, speaking of that, is there anybody currently serving in the House or Senate that openly supports? Not openly. Uh, this is the chicken and the egg problem. Uh, right. And I, I refer to it. Actually, I talk about it in the book. To where we're kind of at a standoff, right? Uh, we've got we've got some folks that are all in there. They're like, "Hey, if the bill gets filed, I'm on it." We we know where their heart is. It's not just some kind of behind closed door thing. I mean, this is they're, right. they're pretty consistent in their position. The, the The problem is is that we have some guys that just they're afraid to be the first ones out of the foxhole. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I will tell you, uh, a few sessions back, State Representative James White. Uh, tried to file our our very first referendum bill, like the very first draft, not the one that you have now, but a very basic one. And he had a problem once he filed it with the legislative council, who handles the drafting of the bills. It's uh, you know kind of getting it in the format, doing everything, and they stripped the ref the actual referendum language out of it and converted it into a resolution. So we've already had. There's already been like three. We've been close to getting the legislation filed three times. We're, we're at the point now in dealing with this legislature um, and, and sort of the, the entrenched nonsense uh, that we announced very recently that we are going to do something like we did back in 2012. And that is we are currently uh, recruiting and vetting candidates to run under the TNM banner, under the party of their choice or as independents. Uh, but when it comes to legislative candidates, the only way that they will get our support is if they run under the TNM banner and sign a binding pledge, and when I say binding, I mean with penalty, a binding pledge to file that legislation. Uh, we're 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 sick and tired of getting crumbs from the master's table and being uh, and and being told to be appreciative of it. Uh, it's so it's that, time. So so what I'm hearing is there might be incentive for me to come back to Texas. Elliot almost had me ready to go to New Hampshire, but you may need me there now because I'll sign on. Bring it, brother. Uh, look, we we need all the help we can get. Um, you know, a lot of people make a make a lot of um, assumptions about folks that are moving here from Texas. You know, a lot of these guys that move from California, places like that. I, I know a guy personally who was he was a, a Republican policy analyst in the California State Assembly, and when some of the transgender issues started happening in the elementary school, he picked up his family, closed up his business, and moved to Texas. Uh, what I'm finding is, is that the vast majority of, of people, and, and I just say this, I don't know empirically. And well, actually, there has been some polling data. Most of those people are voting Republican. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, but from an anecdotal standpoint, what we're hearing from these people is a lot of these people are moving here because they're expecting Texas to make a move. They're expecting Texas yeah. to be to be out of here. Uh, wow. and, and they're fleeing where they are because they are effectively political and economic refugees. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, because someone comes here to Texas from outside of Texas, I don't judge them on that right off the bat. I, I want to see how they vote and how they believe. Right. Uh, and, and I understand that the places that they're fleeing are not yeah. really desirable. Well, California, I, I lived there for 15 years. There, there's actually a lot of conservatism there. It's true. They're just they're just drowned out by the by the radicals. 
they, they have true. to know how to sell it to the, you know, the conservatives are out busy working and raising their families and the liberals have time to sit around and, and whatever, contemplate their navel or however they <laughs> gazers. But that's, I'm looking at leaving, uh, I'm looking at leaving Arizona and I'm either, it's down the, it's Texas or New Hampshire. I'm leaning toward New Hampshire right now. Well, look, I'm looking behind you, and I'm seeing two flags. I recognize them both, and neither one of them look like a New Hampshire flag. So I'm just, you know. It's it's only because of my time there that I have that one still. So Elliot's Elliot, becoming a, a, even a more even more pessimistic by the second. He's going to be Elliot's thinking at this moment. This was a mistake. I, I should have done something different. Well. <laughs> Not a New Hampshire flag, but I'll send you a Ruger hat because Ruger's here and Sig is here. That's good. What's that? Ruger's in Arizona too. Oh, right. We don't have there, Sig, so so you got me beat on that. <laughs> Daniel Miller, because you're both Daniels. Daniel Miller, how can people find out more about the Texas Nationalist Movement, and how could they help you? Uh, I love the book ad right there. Uh, you know, if, if anyone, um, my, my recommendation is go to our website, tnm.me. That's like Texas Nationalist Movement, tnm.me. Uh, and there's everything you need to know about the organization. But I, I would suggest uh, that if people wanted to, to know more about us, go look at our about page. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Elliot hit on something a moment ago about being principled. Uh, one of the things about the TNM is for us, Everything about the organization, what we do, springs forth from our mission and our principles, which are clearly laid out. And uh, and if people want to know what we're about, it's that. If they want us to be about something else, it's not going to be about that. It's going to be about what we say. Um, but I would also recommend that if anyone, regardless if they're in Texas or anywhere else, wants to do uh, a nice dive on the issue of independence, pick up the copy of the book, Texas. It's available at major book retailers. It's on Amazon. Uh, man, that's a whole other conversation about Amazon yeah, right. that we did not even touch on. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can do that at some other point. But uh, but I, I would recommend people pick up a copy of it, regardless of whether you live in Texas, and, and understand that the questions that, that are asked in that book are some questions that you need to be asking in your state right now. Other than, than visiting your site and learning about you and I, I some donations, is there any other big way someone else can help if they live far from Texas but they want to help the movement? Look, I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, membership is not restricted to people that live in Texas. I mean, we have a ton of Texas expats, right? So we can't, we can't do that. Uh, but look, my, my recommendation is, is that, you know, short of, of making a contribution or becoming a member or, you know, buying one of our shirts and wearing it around, uh, the one thing that people can do that don't live in Texas is start having this conversation and start asking the question, would our state be better off in the union or out of the union? And you, you would be amazed if you start having that conversation with people, you'll be amazed at how many people have actually thought about that, but have never articulated it. Right. Excellent. Daniel, unless you have any more questions for him, I'm just about ready to wrap up. Everyone no. make sure to visit PNM.me. What's that? I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, he, he also he also i will put another plug in for him we didn't get into it here either but he uh also runs another thing uh texas free radio right oh radio free texas, radio free texas. texas music. it's it's got a lot of really great texas like based music not not the bro country that is out there right now where all it is is talking about your your baseball cap and riding in the mud in your truck there's actually a lot of really great music 
we we love the singer songwriters and the troubadours and yeah. and we wholly are looking forward to seceding from pop country yeah <laughs> yeah I, I like that you're not close to the florida georgia line at all you're pretty far uh, from that <laughs> don't even get started i mean look when when, when our homegrown texas beer shiner you know shiner beer when they sponsored Florida Georgia Lions tour, I mean, it was almost a rebellion, like on the order of the Battle of Gonzales, like come and oh. take it flags with the Shiner bottle. I mean, this this is the kind of stuff that happens. I mean, when Whataburger gets sold to oh, a Chicago Whataburger. company, you have almost a riot down here. Yeah. So is, is Texas Free Radio a website? RadioFreeTexas.com. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll make sure to put a plug in for that too. Excellent. Mr. Daniel Miller, president of the Texas Nationalist Movement. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thank on the you. Liberty Guys, thank y'all so much. I, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. We'll have to have you back on soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. Have a good night. Have a good night.